Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.scbts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Join me tonight in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. We come to article 11 in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, Evangelism and Missions. A little over two weeks ago on Monday, February the 22nd in Nashville, Tennessee, Dr. Ronnie Floyd, who is the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Springdale, Arkansas, delivered an interim report from what is called the Great Commission Resurgence Task Force. Uh, His report made obvious what many of us have known for some time, and that is this. Uh, The Southern Baptist Convention is ill, and her convention of churches is sick. Many things were shared that night that made this evident, but a couple of them, I think, are worth bringing to your attention this evening. In 1950... With half the number of churches that we have today, and with half the number of members we have today, Southern Baptists baptized more than 30,000 people more than we did last year. Our fourth consecutive year in a row, by the way, where we have had a continuing decline in the total number of baptisms. Think about that. Twice as many churches, twice as many Southern Baptists, 30,000 less baptisms than 60 years ago. It's also the case that with twice as many churches and twice as many members, instead of baptizing right around 150,000 teenagers as we did then, we're now baptizing around 70 to 75,000 teenagers annually today. Some have tried to paper this over and say things like, well, you know, uh, Baptists today don't have as many kids as they once did, so there are not as many teenagers. But the fact is, there are more teenagers in America right now, at this moment, than at any time in the history of our nation. No, the fact of the matter is, we are ill. Uh, we are sick. We have some serious, serious, serious problems that need to be addressed if we're going to move forward in the future as a healthy, vibrant convention of churches that is being used by God to reach this nation and all the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, the Bible in its last book, in its last chapter, has an invitation from God for people to come unto himself. You read in chapter 22 and verse 17, and the spirit and the bride, that is the church, say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. All three of those words, by the way, are imperatives. Come, come, come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Article 11 deals with an issue that is very important to the health of a church to the health of a convention of churches, and also to the health of the individual believer. And that is the issue of evangelism 
and missions. And as we're going to see tonight, this article was revised in the year 2000 in a very helpful and healthy way. And it was revised in such a way as to be a reminder to every one of us here tonight that the task of missions and evangelism does not belong to the pastoral staff alone. But the task of evangelism and missions belongs to every single one of us, both in terms of lifestyle, but also in terms of verbal witness. And so this is what the article says. It is the duty and the privilege. I like both of those words. It is your duty whether you want to do it or not. And it is a privilege and honor of every follower of Christ and of every church of the Lord Jesus Christ to endeavor to, and it picks up on the language of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, to make disciples of all nations. Then the article moves to something of the motivation for this. The new birth, regeneration, the new birth of man's spirit by God's Holy Spirit means the birth of love for others. In other words, if you don't love other people, if you don't love in particular the lost, at best you're carnal. At worst, you're lost. And, you know, I could chase this for a long time, and I'll try to stay on point tonight. But uh, recently, uh, in being with uh, my children overseas and talking to some other uh, folks that are serving the Lord internationally, especially among uh, Muslims, among those who are committed to Islam, uh, it's very easy to talk to some American Christians on this side of the Atlantic and almost sense a hatred, a disdain. Uh, a hostility toward those who worship a false god called Allah. And that's an amazing thing to me, that you actually have people that seem to at least uh, accept, if not rejoice, in the idea of those people dying and going to hell. Now, I'm all familiar with what took place on 9-11. And I'm all familiar with the antipathy and the hostility that emanates from the Muslim world toward our nation. But brothers and sisters, why are you surprised when lost people act like lost people, whatever their background, religiously speaking, is? And so that we would not have a love for others, and indeed a love for all of the others, again, is an indictment on where we happen to be spiritually in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I would remind you that Jesus died for every single Muslim on the planet today. He loves them. He desires to see them come to faith in himself. He has the same desire for every Hindu, the same desire for every Buddhist, the same desire for every Jew, the same desire for every animist, every pantheist, every atheist. He has the same desire for all that they would come unto himself. Thus, missionary effort on the part of all rests thus upon a spiritual necessity of the regenerate life and is expressly and repeatedly commanded in the teachings of Christ. Indeed, the Lord Jesus has commanded the preaching of the gospel to all nations. And therefore, it is the duty. There it is a second time. It is the duty of every child of God to seek constantly to win the lost to Christ. How? By verbal witness undergirded by a Christian lifestyle and by other methods in harmony with 
the gospel of Christ. And I suspect they have in mind there such things as mass evangelism, uh, crusades such as have been conducted for years by Billy Graham, revivals, backyard Bible clubs, vacation Bible schools, any and every means that is consistent and in harmony with the gospel to see men, women, boys, and girls come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there are a number of texts that we could cite in the context of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Interestingly, you only see three references from the Old Testament. I pick up on perhaps the most important one and then note the other key texts that stand out in the New Testament. But Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I believe the first promise of the Messiah is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where the Bible says that God would put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. But I think the second great promise of a coming Messiah, of a coming deliverer, is found right here in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where Abraham is told that all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you, and of course in Abraham ultimately is revealed to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 9, 37 through 38, Then he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful. There are lots of lost people out there, many who are ready to be, uh, to be harvested, to be reaped. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. There is no want or lack of lost people. There's not even a want or a lack of lost people who would respond to the gospel if they heard the gospel. And how dare we keep to ourselves something that indeed is the difference between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and, and here's the imperative, make disciples of what, Jesus? All the ethne, all the nations, all the people groups of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The imperative in that text is make disciples. Three participles orbit about it. The word go, the word baptize, the phrase are baptizing and the word teaching, actually because of their close proximity to that imperative, the going, the baptizing, and the teaching also receive the force of a command, the force of an imperative. You make disciples. How? You go, you baptize, and you teach. The Acts version of the Great Commission, chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. A quick word about how this verse is sometimes wrongly interpreted. Uh, I have some friends that would say, well, you know, first I get my Jerusalem in order. Then I can move to my Judea. 
Then I can move to my Samaria, and then I can move to the end of the earth. That is not what the text is saying at all. In fact, the text is saying we should be involved in a Jerusalem, a Judea, a Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth all at the same time. We should be involved in Raleigh. We should be involved in North Carolina. We should be involved in the U.S. And we should be involved in the nations of the world all at the same time. It is not something that you build on in some type of sequential manner. Romans 10 Excuse me, verse 13 through 15. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What a wonderful promise. But how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And by the way, when you see the word preacher there, don't think of someone just like Brother Bill, but you think of someone who can proclaim the gospel. How will they hear without someone proclaiming the gospel to them? How shall they preach then unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And then a verse that is directed uh, uh, primarily, but I would argue not exclusively, to those who are called to lead the church, to the pastor, the elder, the overseer, the, the bishop. But to you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist, and by so doing, you fulfill your ministry. So with those as biblical texts that lay a clear foundation for the assignment of both missions and evangelism, let's unwrap the article and then ask how it applies to us where we are today in the year 2010 here in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. The major change in Article 11 in the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message is in the final sentence of the article. There was a change. Quote, it is the duty of every child of God to seek constantly to win the lost to Christ by verbal witness, undergirded by a Christian lifestyle and by other methods in harmony with the gospel of Christ. Note. The words verbal witness were added to the 2000 statement. These two words were absolutely needed. And they added a component to the mandate of missions and evangelism that was conspicuously absent in previous statements. In other words, a comment. A lifestyle witness alone is insufficient as has been well said by a number of gifted uh, uh, preachers of the gospel in years past, no one is saved by your life. They are saved by his death and his life. You can live virtually a perfect life before someone, and they will still die and go to hell without hearing, understanding, and believing the gospel, which they will not get by just watching the way that you live. Does it matter how you and I live? Absolutely. To, to live in, in contradiction to the gospel is to make a mockery of the gospel. But to live a high moral life and yet not share the gospel is not going to bring anyone to the kingdom. And so the words verbal witness were added. Why? Because a lifestyle witness alone is insufficient. The apostle Paul was clear on this issue when he wrote the church at Rome Romans 10:14 How then will they believe in him whom they have not heard? 
And again, as Paul admonished Timothy, we are to do the work of an evangelist, which means clearly speaking the good news of Christ. Thus, the key changes in Article 11 of the 2000 BFNM are the additions of the phrase verbal witness. And can you believe this? The preaching of the gospel to all nations. Now, I suspect that uh, if you take that uh, article, even without that phrase, it's implied. Uh, but I'm very grateful that the authors of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 sought and saw the need to make that explicit. The preaching of the gospel to all nations. And as we've talked about previously... When you see the word nations, you're seeing the Greek word ethne, and by that word ethne, by the word nations, he's not speaking so much about geographically defined nations as he is different people groups, uh, different groups that have their own language, their own culture, their own identity. Again, I've shared this with you before, more than 16,000 people groups on planet Earth more than 6,500 that not one time yet have ever heard the name of Jesus. To put it another way, even if they wanted to get saved, they can't. Because there's no one there telling them the gospel. And again, that we spend for every dollar placed in an offering plate in a Southern Baptist church in America, 98 cents on the dollar in America Two cents to the nations is shameful. It's embarrassing. And there's no way at all to justify keeping so much here and sending so little elsewhere. So both changes rightly correct earlier statements, omissions of any type of explicit verbal proclamation of Christ. And both changes are much more consistent with the biblical teachings which command us to tell the good news to everyone. In fact, again, after uh, Dr. Floyd spoke a few weeks ago, I heard some people say something like this. Well, you know, a person who is lost who lives in Alabama is just as lost as someone who lives in Albania or China or Thailand or Afghanistan. And they're right. They're absolutely right. It doesn't matter where you live. Lost is lost. I think we could all agree upon that. That's not the issue. The issue is access to the gospel. People in Alabama and Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina have access to the gospel. I mean, they have overwhelming access to the gospel. But there are people in those countries I just mentioned a moment ago that have no access to the gospel. Zero. That's the issue. And the issue is, are we as a people going to be about the business of getting access to the gospel to everybody? That is the issue on the table. So, some theological considerations about this article. German theologian Martin Keiler once said, Missions is the mother of theology. I, however, prefer the opposite expression. Theology is actually the mother of missions. In other words, if you have a right theology, you cannot help but be involved in missions and evangelism. In fact, if you're not involved in missions and evangelism, either one, you're just blatantly disobedient, 
Or two, you're not doing it because you have a theology that is not true to the Scriptures that somehow justifies you're not going, you're not giving, you're not sharing, you're not preaching. One of two options is the result of not being involved in evangelizing locally and doing missions around the world. Or to say it another way, missions and theology always go together. Theology without missions is dead orthodoxy. Missions without theology is absent a gospel to be proclaimed. You know, sometimes you'll have someone say, well, I'm not a I'm not a theologian. Uh, I just someone who preaches the gospel. Well, I got news for you. You've got to define the gospel. And once you start defining the gospel, you may be pathetic at it, but you now have stepped into the world of being a theologian. And so anytime there's content to what you're trying to teach or, or proclaim, you of necessity are going to be involved in theology. Next paragraph then. History verifies the interconnection between theology and missions. On the one hand, individuals, churches, and denominations that abandon orthodox Christian truth do not engage in evangelism and missions. It's not by accident today. That in the United States, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Methodists, and so on have seen a shrinking into almost total non-existence, their missionary forces. Why? There's no gospel. And if you have no gospel, why would you sacrifice? Why would you give? Why would you go to take a message you don't believe? The answer is, you won't. You won't. And again, Southern Baptists are only one generation away from that same death march as well. So there's an interconnection between theology and missions. Liberal theology then produces death and a neutered, impotent gospel. That is not my phrase. I got it from Mark Rathel. I like it very well. On the other hand, theological affirmations such as a biblical understanding of God's holiness and his love, the depravity and sinfulness of human beings, the atoning sacrifice of Christ's death, and the exclusivity of salvation through personal faith in Christ produces healthy offspring. Now, the key phrase there for me, well, they're all key, but one that I would point out specifically is that phrase, the exclusivity of salvation, which also then equates to the exclusivity of the gospel, which means what, Danny? is simply a way that theologians speak of the fact that there's only one way whereby anyone can be saved, and that is through a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. As I said at the 2020 conference a couple of weeks ago, God has revealed himself in both creation and conscience, both of which are sufficient to condemn one to hell, neither of which is sufficient to save someone from hell. The only means whereby someone can be saved from hell is believing in Jesus Christ. And if they haven't heard about Jesus Christ, they can't believe in Jesus Christ, and therefore they cannot be saved. And yet, amazingly, and I'm not going to take a survey tonight. Uh, this is the Wednesday night crowd, so I think the numbers would most likely be pretty high. But we know that among professing evangelicals, that is, people who say, I've been born again, Jesus is my Savior, I believe the Bible, 57% would also say that it's possible to be saved other than through a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. If a Mormon, 
if they Jehovah's Witness, if they Jew, if they Muslim, if they Buddhist, if they Hindu, if an animist is doing the best they can with what they got, God certainly is going to let them into heaven. And brothers and sisters, again, I'm happy for you to show it to me. And if you can show it to me, then I will try to undo the past 20 years of my teaching theology at various institutions. It is not in the Bible. Furthermore, if it is possible to be saved other than through faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ, then why in the world did God kill his son? The cross screams out loud and clear, one way to heaven, his name is Jesus. And so liberal theology produces death, but a healthy theology is going to produce healthy offsprings. Thus, Article 11 of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 addresses and answers six important questions about evangelism and missions. We'll note them very quickly first. Why does the BFNM bring together under one article the subjects of evangelism and missions? Well, the easy answer is they are interrelated and one naturally grows out of the other and complements the other. The BFNM does not answer the question explicitly. Rather, the document answers it implicitly. You see, the Bible presents evangelism and missions as one. In other words, can I be doing missions and not do evangelism? No. And can I do evangelism and not move to do missions? No. The two go together. Evangelism attempts to lead an individual to personal commitment to Christ as Savior and Lord. Missions describes the personal involvement of a Christian to confront all peoples with the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, I guess you could say it this way. Missions becomes the context in which evangelism takes place. Missions is global, if you like. Evangelism is distinctively personal within that global assignment to get the gospel to every person on the planet. Why do we do this? Because... God is a missionary God. The Son of God who left the glory of heaven and became incarnate as a man is the greatest missionary in all of history. The Bible is a missionary book. The culmination of the biblical message in Revelation reveals people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation praising the name of God around the throne in heaven. Again, as I've said many, many times, the nations are going to come to faith in Christ. God promises that's going to happen in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7. The question is, will you, will I, will Southern Baptists be involved? Or will we be sitting on the sideline watching? It's, it's going to happen. And again, a, a healthy Humble reminder, God does not need me, God does not need you, God does not need Wake Crossroads Baptist Church, God does not need North Carolina Baptist, God does not need Southern Baptist, all of us need Him. He doesn't need us, we need Him. Second, the FNM answers the question, who is responsible for evangelism and missions? Neither an elite group of individuals uniquely gifted in evangelism nor the ministerial staff carry the responsibility of evangelism and missions. Rather, the duty and privilege 
of evangelism belongs to every follower of Christ and every church. In other words, every church should be evangelistic and every church should be missionary minded. The term duty conveys to some the idea of, of drudgery, of boring responsibility and even joyless labor. However, the Baptist faith and message reminds believers that evangelism and missions is an honor. Uh, it is a privilege. In God's amazing grace, he grants believers the opportunity to bear the glad tidings. I mean, think about it. I, I agree again with the theologians who have said, you know, why didn't God give this assignment to the angels? Uh, number one, I think they would be happy to do it. Number two, I think they'd probably do a better job than you or I. Best I can tell. And yet God didn't do that. God gives the assignment of doing evangelism to those who have been evangelized. He gives the assignment to frail, fallen, but redeemed human beings like you and like me. And again, I like what one man said. Well, God, if, 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 the, if the church, if, if fallen, frail, but redeemed humans don't succeed in getting the gospel to everybody, what's plan B? And God quickly responds, oh, there is no plan B. There is no backup plan. Either my people will do it or it won't happen. Now, again, the word says it's going to happen. So his people are going to do it. The question again is, are we going to be part of that people involved in seeing it done? No, he's given us the privilege. Yet, unfortunately, many Christians and churches fail to partake of this blessed privilege. Nearly one-fourth of the Southern Baptist churches last year baptized not one single person, not one. That, by the way, is 45,000 divided by four, which means almost 12,000 Southern Baptist churches last year did not baptize even one single person. Over 9% of Baptists have never led anyone to faith in Christ or trust in the Lord. Third, the BFNM answers the question, what is the gospel of evangelism missions? Well, answer the gospel is not social service. It's not feeding the hungry of Chile or Chile. It's not building houses back down in uh, Haiti. It's not planting churches as good as all of those activities are. These actions may function as a part of the process toward meeting the goal. Further, neither baptism nor church membership serves as the goal. The one goal of evangelism missions is making disciples of all the nations, all the people groups of the world. Now, do I believe good disciples uh, will uh, feed the hungry? Absolutely. Will they build houses? Absolutely. Will they plant churches? Absolutely. Will they engage in all sorts of important, viable social ministries? My, my wife and I, since its inception have been very active supporters of the local crisis pregnancy center. And we will continue to do so uh, till the day that we pass on because we believe so much in, in promoting life and being a part of that vital ministry. But is that vital ministry the gospel? No. Now, can it be an avenue to sharing the gospel? Absolutely, a thousand times over. But we need to keep distinct between what is the essence of the gospel and what are some natural outgrowths and implications of lifestyle that flow from the gospel? Fourth, what is the scope of evangelism and missions? 
According to the BFNM, the scope of evangelism missions encompasses all the nations, all the ethne. The term translated nations in the New Testament is the Greek word ethne, a term descriptive of people or language groups. Our International Mission Board estimates today that there are more than 6,500 unreached people groups which remain in the world, which means fleshed out 1.6, that's a typo, oh my goodness, 1.6 billion, change that please, 1.6 billion have never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, Guys, 1.6 million would be too many. But it's not 1.6 million, it's 1.6 billion. That, by the way, is one-fourth of the world's population. Dr. Bruce Ashford, who teaches missions at the seminary, is fond of saying to our students, there are places in the world where I could take you, drop you by helicopter or parachute on the ground, and tell you, now start walking. And you would walk for days, weeks, months, months. Never see a church, never meet a Christian. The vast lostness of the world is primarily, but not exclusively, concentrated today in India, China, and those surrounding countries. That's where the the bulk of the massiveness of lostness is. Although you move to a country in Africa like the Sudan, and again, you're immediately confronted with massive lostness through there. And then you move through what's called the 1040 window, that swarth of Muslim countries that run throughout the Middle East, going all the way to the Stans and then into China. And again, massive, massive, massive lostness. My wife and I were allowed uh, last year to be in Istanbul on Christmas Day. Christmas Day in Istanbul is like every other day. People get up, they go to work, they come home, they go to bed. Nothing at all, nothing at all, nothing at all that would indicate that that was the day wherein Christians celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be in Istanbul this year on Easter. I strongly suspect that that day will be like every other day as well. And so the massive losses of the world should, it, it does me, it haunts me and it keeps me up at night. You say, don't you do that. No, I'm going to pray it keeps you up at night as well until we all do something about it. There is a good inability to sleep. And I think having a burden for the lost is a good reason to not be able to sleep well. Fifth, the BFNM answers the question, what is the rationale or motivation for evangelism missions? The Baptist Faith and Message identifies three rationales for evangelism missions involvement. Number one, love. Number two, the necessity of the new birth. And number three, obedience to the command of Jesus. According to the BFNM, the new birth experience produces a love for others. Thus, evangelism and missions is love in action. It's not proselytizing. It's not imperializing. It's not spiritual arrogance. It is love in action. A popular YouTube video expresses the response of famed atheist Penn Gillette, one half of the Penn and Teller comedy team. It is an attempt by a Christian to witness to him through simply giving him the gift of a Gideon's Bible after his Las Vegas show one evening. 
in light of this Christian's affirmation of the reality of heaven and hell and the possibility of an individual going to hell, Penn, Gillette, and Atheist says it and sees it so clearly, and I quote, How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about that? That's also a question that ought to haunt all of us. Sixth and finally, the BFNM answers the question, what are the proper methods of evangelism? Verbal witness is the primary method of evangelism and missions. Paul highlighted the importance of a verbal witness in Romans 10:14 one more time. And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Some individuals claim to witness by living a Christian life. Yet, if a Christian never verbalizes the reason for the distinctive Christian lifestyle, then no one will believe because of that lifestyle. The verbal witness, however, loses credibility if it is not undergirded by a Christian lifestyle. Thus, the importance of this truth can hardly be overemphasized. There must be an authentic life that shares an authentic gospel. Both are important, both are needed, both are necessary to bring integrity to and um, authenticity to and credibility to the gospel. So, last paragraph, last sentence. As the Southern Baptist Convention focuses on a Great Commission resurgence, we all need to pray that we as individuals will experience a personal resurgence about the Great Commission reaching our neighbors reaching the nations. The fact of the matter is, it must start with us. Uh, Actually, it must start with me and with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, tonight we have talked about a wonderful subject, but a weighty one. And Lord, the fact of the matter is, we're losing ground in America and around the world. And Lord, business as usual just cannot continue. I said at the beginning, Lord, and again, I acknowledge it. Our convention of churches are ill, they're sick, uh, they're weak, uh, we're losing ground, we're confused, our priorities are all out of whack, and Lord, no matter, no, no, no amount of papering it over, no amount of justifying it or explaining it away negates the fact that our nation grows more pagan and our world grows more lost. And Lord, the answer is not electing the right politicians. That's just a joke. The hope of the world is not in Capitol Hill. The hope of the world is in Calvary's Hill, a risen, resurrected, crucified Savior named Jesus. So help us, Lord, to get our priorities right. Help us, Lord, to understand the essential nature of being on mission as an evangelist for King Jesus. Help us to understand, Lord, anything less than that is disobedience. Lord, we want to be an obedient people to your word and to your gospel. Thank you for giving us the privilege and the responsibility to tell others about Jesus. Give us the the know-how and give us the courage that we will not hesitate to talk about our Savior any and every opportunity we have. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. 
If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.